Okay, John Boyd, uh, Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel in the Air Force, came up with his model on how decisions are made. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's not as new as people think it is. It's people have been broken, broken these things down in these four ways, but it's become the standard model, and he did a crap load of research and writing on it. So the first, observe, orient, decide, and act. O-O-D-A, UDA. Um, you can't do anything about a problem you don't see. You have to see it first. You have to observe. When we observe something, it's just raw data. Um, you have to figure out what that data means. And that's the orient stage, figuring out what the hell is going on. I don't actually see you punching me. Yeah. I see your fist getting closer to my face. I have to orient that, oh my god, he's punching me. Um, until you orient, you can't decide what to do about it. Um, theoretically, you can. You can say, I have no idea what's going on. I'm going to do something. Uh, uh, Nassim Taleb would call that naive interventionalism. Yeah. I don't know what's going on, but we need to do something. <laughs> we need to do it now. Yeah. Um, <coughs> only after you've decided what to do can you do it. You have to decide before you act. So that, that loop and all of your actions are the other person's observations. All of your actions or all of their actions are your observations. If you're following up, if, if they're acting first, you're going through three steps before you can respond. You're behind the loop and that's one of the, the big things. And, and we could go into OODA forever because um, you can use each of the stages of how to spike your time or spike their time, how to increase your time. It becomes elements of speed. Uh, but I want to drop back to, because when you said orientation, I either think of OODA loop, which is figuring out what the hell is going on, or orientation in space, mm -hmm. which is the whole kinesthetic, where am I, where's the other guy? So I'm, I'm thinking of orientation in the in a mm. fundamentally very broad way, because even mm. if we look at the Udall loop, you're, you're describing it, uh, in, the, in the example you're giving, you're describing it as a, as like a martial arts context, right? We're fighting, mm. what I'm doing, you're observing, and, and vice versa, mm. or military context, right? When, yeah. when the enemy makes an action. action. But, uh, but I think that this, this fundamental capacity to orient effectively to mm. a changing environment is actually the fundamental capacity in, um, in life, it's 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 what allows a living thing to be adaptable. The capacity to observe their environment and then to orient effectively to it, and it's the biggest problem because it's actually really hard to orient effectively to the environment because there's 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 very little attention that you have to apply to things, mm -hmm. and you're really not that smart, and the environment is really really big, and I think this problem pops up over and over again because uh, I I. I was doing a parkour seminar with mm -hmm. Stefan Vigru, and he was describing the breaking the jump sequence that was developed by the parkour community. And the breaking the jump sequence developed by the parkour community was um, feel the call of the jump, so see a jump, um, assess the jump, feel the fear of the jump, overcome the fear of the jump, decide and act. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you you can see that essentially it's the same. It's the same description, only the orientation phase has been broken down a little bit more into assessing the environment, processing your, uh, recognizing your fear, and then processing mm. it. Those are all stages that you have time in a parkour situation um, to to deal with. And it's an interesting thing in parkour because, or rock climbing or something like that, mm -hmm. because you you. Uh, you can really look at the process in a very kind of clinical way because you have time. But it's very different in a martial arts situation or in many other more alive situations in life because you don't have that time. Once you've started throwing that punch at me, I don't get to say I'm afraid of getting punched. I'm going to breathe it out, <sighs> yeah. shake myself out. Yes. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to fight. Don't get to make that decision. So. Uh, so I think there's a, a really interesting commonality there, and I think that um, that this then you know we could talk about this in communication too. You, you mm -hmm. say something, uh, I disagree with it. I have to figure out what the hell you were saying, why you said it, and how how to go forward. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of a lot of stuff for you to dig into. Um, but yeah, tell me tell me your kind of this is what okay. So so digging into it because yeah, yeah. uh, we talked earlier about we're going to talk about yeah, it yeah, yeah. talking um, the the level of complication. Um, when you're sitting there within the parkour, you observe and then you orient to, um, you're orienting to the physical space, which is more what, normally what we think about, but you're also orienting to your internal emotional space. Yeah. Um, and that's one thing that exists every place else also, especially in novel 
things. That's one of the things that shuts us down most is when, when things are novel, we can't orient to them. Yeah. Um, when we have mixed messages, when we have society saying, you don't punch people, and you know that's the only way out of this is to punch people. Yeah. So we have that social orientation. So all of these things are going on, they're going on all the time. So um, you were talking about clinical and time to think about it. Yeah. And this is one of those, we can clinically break down everything to the point that it's completely useless. Um, if we sit there and look at all the stuff going on in our brains. But our brains actually process most of this without us being aware of it, and it does it very, very quickly. We're, we're actually pretty good at this. When, um, when you talk about how, how complicated it is and how um, my immediate reaction to that, not disagreement, is that's exactly what we were evolved for. That's what human beings are best at of any creature ever created, is dealing with that kind of complexity yeah. and that kind of ambivalence. Mm -hmm. And part of, um, one of my friends, Kay, says that she measures your maturity by how good you are at dealing with ambivalence. Mm -hmm. And I'm perfectly cool with that. It, it's, you don't, when we're teaching, it goes, goes into the parkour, you're teaching people how to make that jump. Yeah. Um, when you go into teaching, you tend to go analytical, you tend to break it up. Um, a kitten would just try it until it figured it out. And in that place, the kitten at that point owns it. It's not a piece of knowledge in its head that it has to dig out under stress next time. And, that's, and we were talking about this. All animals learn through play. Humans learn through play. If you can make it into a game and they figure it out themselves, then it becomes part of who they are. It's when we try to sit there and come up. Humans are obsessed with this idea that we can come up with a clinical breakdown that will be faster than what we were involved to do. If I can, or less scary. If I can just write down everything that's involved in a violent encounter, and hand that to you, you'll never be scared again because you'll understand it. And that's not the way of, it, I'm trying not to use bad language, it's not the way it works. Yeah. But, um, but what does work, what works through nature, tends to work pretty damn well. And a lot of it is less, you know, improving it without interfering with it is one of the hardest things in, in teaching. Yeah, okay. so a couple things that are really interested in there that I mm -hmm. want to dig into. First, um, I think, it's totally true that we are the best, really, animal mm -hmm. in the world. We have a capacity to orient towards novel situations that's unlike any mm -hmm. other animal, and that's what makes us... On multiple unique, levels, conscious, right? unconscious, yeah, using more, other people's brains. We have more behavioral flexibility than any mm -hmm. other animal in the world, and we have more ability to generate new systems and new models of the world, new heuristics to deal mm -hmm. with a new situation than anything else. Coupled with more unwarranted self-doubt. <laughs> yeah. But... So on one level, yeah, we're, we have all for it, and we're the best at it. But it's still infinitely an enormous challenge, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the, the level of reality that's out there that, that we have to develop mm -hmm. to deal with is huge. And that's, um, so this gets into this idea that, uh, that we, you talk in conflict communication about scripts, mm -hmm. right? right? You, uh, you have an argument with your wife, it's the same argument you've had yeah. before, you're playing out a script. You, you, uh, you meet a girl you like, you engage in a certain type of uh, flirtatious conversation, you're playing out a script. I show her the t-shirt that says, my wife said no. <laughs> yeah. Um, those scripts are built up by society, in a sense, mm -hmm. to provide, to make it easy for us to orient through situations. Mm -hmm. Because if we take away all of that, then we have infinite complexity, and it's, it's, it's enormously challenging for mm -hmm. our brains to deal with it. As intelligent as we are, we're still very limited relative to reality. So, mm -hmm. so we need heuristics, and we need like a, uh, a kind of we need mm -hmm. a value system actually. And this is something that, that ties right into your work as well. Okay. Like, if your value system says you're not allowed to hit somebody, then don't even show up to self defense class, right? Mm -hmm. Because because <laughs> you fundamentally can't take on the thing mm -hmm. that you're asking to do. You have mm -hmm. to adjust your value system to allow you to have permission to do that. So our value system structure our perceptions that allows us to mm -hmm. interact with reality. So that's one huge topic. Rabbit hole. I'm gonna, uh, we'll jump down that rabbit hole in just a second. I just yeah, want to touch awesome. the other things. So cool. that we'll, we'll as long back. as you can remember them, yeah, I'm going to gonna forget them. So the other thing that, that, that you brought up there was the idea mm -hmm. that, that we have this self-organizing system and that mm -hmm. we, we tend to kind of get in the way of that self-organizing system. And that self-organizing system comes through play. And that if we, uh, if we 
that we, we're always inventing ways to mess up that system in some sense because mm -hmm. we, we're, we think we're smart enough to, to do it better a lot of the time. So I really want to dig into both those subjects. Let's mm -hmm. start with the first one. Okay, because I want to dig into that second one because I get pretty pissed. So I gotta, yeah. The second one we can yeah. go off on a lot because yeah. that's, that's, mm -hmm. that second one is kind of the fundamental aspect mm -hmm. of what involvement play is about. So we can talk about that a lot. I wanted to get your take on kind of that, that first idea that um, let's say that the fundamental problem that, that organisms face is that, mm -hmm. is that the environment is changing and there's a lot of the environment mm -hmm. and there's very little of you. Um, and that's true for a human being even though a human being has the most complex nervous system that's mm -hmm. ever existed. Uh, you see where I'm going with that? Do you have any kind of comments on, on, on how this, this orientation problem is so central to, to how we become the generalist or the, the adaptive athlete or how you, you engage in self-defense in an intelligent mm -hmm. way. See, I, I so badly want to say, no, I have no idea what you're talking about, Ray. <laughs> Just keep you going for a while because I think that'd be hilarious. Um, uh, we, could, we could do that next time. But it's, um, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of thoughts about it, okay. which are not really organized. That's the thing about having a question. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, there's a dealing with complexity is something that we're evolved to do. We're actually very good at it, mm -hmm. and most of the time we've arranged, like you said, we use heuristics to not have to figure out how to start every car we get in. Yeah. They start the same unless you run into one of some of the new ones. The same is pretty much they they have for a long time. We know how to say hello on the phone. We have again all these scripts, and they save us a lot of time. Um, when they break out of the script, when, the, when someone goes off script, we adapt. It takes us a little bit longer and we have to think about it and we play, but we have, we have tools for that. Um, I think a lot, we nut up on the idea that it's supposed to be just as fast as the stuff we have scripts on. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Um, we need to recognize, and the, the one, one of the huge things, I got this from Gordon Graham a long time ago, was discretionary time. If no one's getting hurt right now, we got time to figure this out. Yeah. And we can call resources. I don't need to deal with this problem. One of the things that came up earlier, you know, someone squares off. I don't need to do anything right now. He's giving me time, distance, and warning. Yeah. I, I can change the subject. I can leave. I can call for help. I can access a weapon. I don't need to play. I have to voluntarily choose a certain type of stupid to become the kind of game he wants to play. Um, so one of the big things is recognizing when you have time to think and using the time to think. And conversely, is recognize the time you don't. One of the games, it's not a game, it's more an experiment. Uh, we played with this in Oakland, uh, December, early December. Yeah. Um, but having four or five people punch at you and you're blindfolded. <laughs> okay, obviously you can't block, you can't do anything. But it turns out if you just keep randomly moving, almost none of the hits are solid. Mm -hmm. that, that randomly moving messes up everyone. So being an element of chaos, when it's, when it's too chaotic for you to figure out, being cool with being an element of the chaos tends to chaos. level the playing field. Um, I think the biggest, and this, this is kind of my wind up for this whole first part of the question, um, is reminding people, and I hate the buzzwords like empowering, but this is huge, that they are evolved for this. We are good survivors. Mm -hmm. And we actually function really well in chaos unless we've been socially conditioned that we aren't supposed to. Humans use it. We, we, we figured out how to work sails. We learned how to work the wind. Mm -hmm. We, you know, the soul of chaos, and we figured out how to do it. Um, we are really good at that. We're good at relaxing, but we have to learn to. Or we have to learn it's allowed and possible. But giving people the confidence. Um, I talked a little bit about Maya Soderholm. Mm -hmm. So Maya, if you see this, we've been talking about you. Mostly good stuff. Um, but one of the things that struck me about she, she is very clear, she practices Filipino sword dueling. Yeah. Not martial arts, not self, or a martial art, but not self-defense, not brawling. Um, one of the first times we met, it's like I'd, I played with her sword a little bit, okay, so let's play with me with infighting. Okay, yeah. infighting can be scary anyway if you're not used to it. She's not an armed. armed. I said, okay. And her training methodology, which is the random flow stuff that Sunny Umpa did, basically produced people that you can throw them into a completely unfamiliar environment and their assumption is I'll figure it out. Yeah. And that I think is where you're going, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but absolutely where I'm going with my training, where you go with your training, is to make people realize they're smart enough and strong enough 
and survivable enough that they'll figure it out. Yeah, so fundamentally, I guess, the, the idea that I'm working with is the, the goal of training is to, well, actually, I think we, we talked about this in the last conversation. Mm -hmm. If point karate makes you really, really happy, mm -hmm. do just it. do point karate, right? Yeah. The, you know, it depends on where you're at in your life, right? If you live in a situation where self-defense is, is, is very need, is very necessary, obviously train self defense. Mm -hmm. But um, if you if you have a very low likelihood of ever having to use self defense mm -hmm. and you find self defense training miserable, it's a bad it's a bad bargain, mm -hmm. right? So fundamentally, I think that we train to uh, to do something that's meaningful to us. Right? But then the question that arises for me is. What, what makes activities meaningful? Okay. Why do you train? What, what makes something meaningful? And then, and then if there's commonalities across lots mm. of different people about what's meaningful, then the question is, uh, how do we kind of extract out the principle and choose the most meaningful way to practice? And what I've been adopting is this idea that essentially what we're, in some sense what we're doing in physical practice is, is essentially trying to become a heroic person. We're trying to... Okay. to become the thing that we admire, become the thing that's capable. And, and I've been trying to then look at what is the things that fundamentally make that. It's like, well, is it just being strong? I don't think so. Is it just doing this? But I think the fundamental thing about a human being, mm -hmm. the fundamental, like we said, we're the most behaviorally flexible animal. Mm -hmm. So what you want to be is you want to be the person who sal who thrown into a new situation says, I will, I will swim. Mm -hmm. I won't swim. I think I'll figure it out. And then the question is, how do we, how do we train? How, how do we choose the practices that we do, and the, and the approach that we use to those practices, such that we best become that person? And I'll, I'll let okay, you. Okay. No. That. This is this is a huge. Um, the world is complex. People are fundamentally complex. Yep. One of the things that does is it creates an open system, mm -hmm. and. The difference, a closed system, there's only one way to win. There's, there's one answer. If you, if you have two plus two equals four, open system, two plus two doesn't necessarily equal four if you're dealing with rabbits. Yeah. <laughs> it's it just, it just one of the The more complicated the system is. Yeah. But within that, because it's complicated, because we're complicated, there are way more ways to win. Mm -hmm. there, there's, I've got a lot of friends that are comic book geeks, right? Yeah. Whole bunch of superheroes that aren't super strong. There are a whole bunch of different ways to be superheroes. Yeah. So when you want to be that hero in your life, there are a whole bunch of different types of hero. There's the strong, there's the smart, there's the fast, there's the, um, and, then, and then backing that down the other way. Um, weakness should never be, it, it just isn't fun. And it doesn't matter what on any of these levels. Wealth is a power. Mm -hmm. mm, being poor is not fun. Um, strength is a power. Being weak is not really fun. Um, it's not. It, it, being slow is not fun. I mean, they're, they're just one of those, if you, if you can't sit there and look, you know, who do I want to be as a superhero, you can at least look at who you don't want to be as the, as the helpless person he's rescuing all the time. And the person who finds, um, like I have this idea that one of the things that's interesting about physical practice is it's a, it's a place in which you, you you transform things that suck into things that are awesome, mm -hmm. right? Like, if you never leave your couch, going for a run for 100 yards is a miserable experience. Yes. You will hate your life. You do, if you run every day, if you run as a regular part of your practice, all of a sudden running becomes a joy, mm -hmm. right? I'm gonna go that far, but all right. The first time you're like, yeah. if you're not used to jumping and you have to jump something, mm -hmm. it's scary. When you get good at jumping, it's like, freedom, it's like flying. Mm -hmm. First time you get into a sparring situation and someone's like really actually cracks you in the head, yeah. it's so overwhelming and frightening. And then if you keep doing it, it's like you kind of get a taste for it's it. Fun. It's fun. You're like, yeah. so you want to live in the world where, where more and more things are scary and overwhelming, or do you want to become the person who can find the enjoyment and the capacity for growth in more and more things? Yeah, and, and, growth, and, and growth always takes irritation. You know, the whole pearls and grit and all that. But you, you can't imagine a muscle into better shape. Mm -hmm. it, it always, everything takes work. It takes 
Again, one of, one of the early advice I got a long time ago, I didn't remember who it was, is you can get anything. You can become anything you want if you're willing to know what it is and what you're willing to pay to get there. Yeah. And that's time, money, effort, sweat, but there's nothing free. Um, it comes with set, it comes with effort. Um, that said, and going back to the other question about training, yeah. um, we have some incredibly inefficient training methods mm -hmm. that are horrible, <laughs> that, are, that are in a lot of ways, I'm, but we can, we can get to that in a little bit, but it's one of those, but there's no cost-free way to grow. And there shouldn't be, and we wouldn't want that. Or at least I wouldn't. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's, it's such a funny thing because mm -hmm. we, we suffer in life. I, mm -hmm. I'm training really hard right now, so I'm doing, I've been mm -hmm. lifting weights, doing parkour, I'm training for a jiu-jitsu competition, and, and I'm sore every day. And, and I'm sore enough recently that I kind of like am questioning why am I pushing myself so mm -hmm. hard. I'm making steady progress, I feel good most of the time, but every once in a while I'm like, man, doing parkour is hard, why the hell am I doing this stuff? Mm -hmm. Beating my body up. Um, so it would be like, why, why can't I have the fun without the cost? Right? That, that's, we have this question that happens all the time. But, but it's, the, 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 the fun actually is given meaning by the cost. When, when, when the fun gets to a certain level, you don't notice the cost nearly as much. Yeah. Um, and when the cost has a big enough payoff, it, it's worth it. And there, there's also, I'm struggling with words, but like a compound interest thing. Yeah. If you really, really put in the work in your 10, 20, teens and 20s, it will push you way, way, way late. If you wait until you're in your 40s or 50s, it becomes much, much harder. Mm -hmm. um, so the compound interest, stuff you learn young, you tend to keep and you can use it for the rest of your life. So, um, I know there's something really important I want to say with that, but I'm going to stop right there, I think. So. I wanted to amplify what I was just saying, yeah. which is there, we're talking about this idea that there's no growth without irritation. There's no growth without suffering. Mm -hmm. right? So like the, fu the fundamental reality that we face is that like life, life has difficulty to it. It has something, like it's going to irritate you, it's going to be hard, it's going to be scary. Mm -hmm. um, if you choose to avoid all those things, it just gets scarier and harder. <laughs> you choose to take those things on, you you uh, you get to irritate. You, know, well, you, you have to dose yourself with it. You don't want to dose yourself with too much of it, but uh, but that's what gives it meaning. Quoting the Princess Bride, quoting Buddha, life okay. is suffering, princess. Anyone who tries to tell you different is selling something. Yeah. Yeah. The the question is, how do we make that suffering meaningful? And and I think that. Our physical practices are actually a really powerful way to mm. do that because we, uh, because we can see that we can grow, and then all of a sudden mm. the things that that sucked become awesome. A lot of it's choice. I mean, you can you can literally choose whether to focus on the pain or focus on the feeling good, yeah. um, but that takes a discipline. One one of the other ways, um, play with power a lot, and and what I mean by that is. You know, we're talking strength is power, wealth is power. Power is choices. If you don't have power in some aspect of your life, you have no choices in that aspect of your life. And that focus, people, people have this whole weird relationship to power. You know, that power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I, I've said this before, but I'm gonna go through it out there. There's no better formula to keeping good people weak than to tell them they'll magically turn into bad people yeah. if they become strong. But basically, if, if if you eschew your power, if you give it up, if you don't develop, if you don't have it, you're choosing, choosing to be choiceless. You're under well, someone else's control. Choice is scary, but not nearly as scary as having the same choices made by people you don't know or like. And that's the other option. I'm not sure. I think that a lot of people prefer <laughs> that option. If as they prefer that they option, they haven't thought it through very well. Yeah, well, as long as they don't, they... As long as, as, long as things continue yeah. within a certain realm of, of they feel safe, yeah. then they're happy with that. Because uh, I was listening to the, the last interview we did again, and, and we were talking, the same subject came up, like, you know, you have to choose. Uh, if, we, if we tell people not to be powerful, that's yeah. a very dangerous message. Uh, and it made me think of something Nietzsche said, where he said, um, a lot of morality is cowardice. Right? People... Mm. People 
people choose not to to fight not because they wouldn't like to fight or they wouldn't want to win a fight, but because they're too afraid to fight. They choose not to to do anything, uh, do non-moral things less because they're nice people and more because they're afraid of the repercussions, because they don't have the strength to choose a different thing. And the idea is that that to be virtuous mm -hmm. and you you have to be. Uh, you have to be able to choose not to be virtuous. You have to have the choices. Mm -hmm. You don't truly become virtuous until you become the person who could make the choice not to be virtuous. You said in the last interview, um, if you don't have power, you're a child. Mm -hmm. If you don't have the willingness to, uh, to use that power, you're a dependent. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is the, it's the same theme, right? Mm -hmm. you, you want to become, you want to be a virtuous person. Uh, uh, the, one of the guys who's been very influential in my thinking mm -hmm. is Jordan Peterson, and uh, he pointed out that uh, friends to walls work with chimpanzees. Like, if you want to, if you want to be successful as a chimpanzee, it's better to be strong than to be weak. Mm -hmm. But it's better to be strong and kind than to just be strong. Yeah, and it's best to be strong, kind, and wise. Right? You want to, you want to, yeah, uh, uh, go up those levels, but you can't, you can't really go up those levels if you're not mm -hmm. able to first become strong. To first be the type of thing that has choices, as you said. Mm -hmm. you, ju you just opened up like at least two major <laughs> gin and tonic conversations about <laughs> okay. nature, well, nature of good and virtue power. Um, yeah, I'll be driving, so no. Um, but but uh, this word because it's, it's things that get to the same place. You're talking about Nietzsche and morality being cowardice, yeah. um, and that's. Doesn't have to be. But for I, many people, I, I, I get the I, I, I get where it's coming from, but it's one of the um, things when, when you're afraid mm -hmm. uh, on, on something generic and systemic. You know, something horrible is happening in the world. The world's turning dark. You don't like the uh, the way the election turned out or whatever. Um, there are two instincts, um, and one instinct is we need to make everybody weaker so no one can hurt anybody. And the other instinct is we need to make as many people as possible stronger so they can protect each other. And whether you, you instinctively believe that humans protect each other or humans prey on each other decides where you go with that. And it's one of those, when you're working from fear, you're gonna want everyone around you weak. When you're working from the idea, and, and this is one of the classic things about classic liberty and whatever, it's not about I get to do what I want, it's I afford you the right to do what you want. And I can disagree with you, but until it actually causes some palpable harm, none of my business. And, and that position of strength to say that how you want to live is none of my business is fundamental to this whole thing. But it requires enough strength to let other people be strong in ways that are different than you. When you said that, uh, you want to make the you want to make the, you want to make the rest of the world weak. The first thing that came into my head was the story of Harrison Bergeron. Have you read? Uh, it's a story by Kurt Vonnegut. And uh, if I did, then it was it's uh, a great story. It was, uh, Thirty odd years ago, that was I think the last time I read Kurt Vonnegut. Well, I can break it down for you very simply. Basically, they've decided that everybody has to be equal. Mm -hmm. In order to make everybody equal, they produce handicaps on anybody who is who is. Okay, I remember the story. I didn't realize that Kurvonnik yeah. wrote it. Yeah. yeah. So, so the Harrison Bergeron, the, the title character, mm. is stronger and faster and more intelligent than everybody. So he, he walks around with giant like plates on his body to mm. hold him down, and he has uh, he has buzzers in his ears and every, every keep him from concentrating and keep him from yeah. concentrating and using his intellect. Mm. And you know he has to wear a mask because he's too handsome and all these things. And, and it, it's that it's it's a it's a beautiful example of this idea of how do how do we make people weaker because people who are strong are a threat. Mm -hmm. So you can either respond to strength and power by trying to take it away from everybody else, or you can respond by saying, how do we make ourselves strong and then also virtuous? And, and, but we teach what we teach because we're dedicated to making people stronger. not Precisely. to. And, and it's always easier, if, if, if equality is that important to you, it's always easier to tear down the top than it is to build up the bottom. Mm -hmm. But it's not productive in any way. It's ma making, making the weak people strong is way more effective and more fun, and it makes for a much better world than trying to make the strong people. Weak people are annoying, flat out. They're just annoying. Yeah. Okay, they're whiny and backstabbing and gossiping all the time. 
um, when they when they get enough strength to be able to look comfortable to demand respect and to deal with the problems themselves, they become much easier to deal with. I want to get into a topic that I didn't mm. plan on talking to you about, but I feel like it really connects to this, and mm. it, it's something that's been bothering me. So I'm going to touch mm. base on it recently, just briefly, mm. and, and bring it into this conversation. But are you familiar with the Me Too movement? Yes. So. Uh, I'm myself the victim of sexual molestation. There's people in my uh, mm -hmm. close friends and family who are. It's it's very encouraging to me that, that these stories are coming out. Mm -hmm. But there's a there's a a tenor in which the way that it's being looked at, which is just about there's some evil people that we need to create a system to control. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the wrong way to look at it. I look at the stuff that happened in my life and I ask, how could I have been strong enough? Mm -hmm. To, to, to recognize what was going to happen before it happened and to, to make the right decision. Yeah. How could the people around me have been made strong enough and, and aware enough to be better people? And, and how do we all kind of, by choosing weakness, participate in the systems that allow predatory individuals to continue to thrive? Because like every, every one of those guys mm -hmm. had hundreds of people around them that made some choice that was less virtuous than it could have been. Mm -hmm. Um, that contributed to the to the fact that they were able to continue to be predators for for years, and and so so is the answer. You know, we just need to fix some system and and call. We just need to have a conversation about patriarchy, or is the answer how do I as an individual become the virtue a more virtuous person who's able to make the right decision to not make the expedient decision in that type of situation? I don't know the answer. Yeah. Um, you know that strikes me. Yeah. Um, how many how many of those bad guys could you name? Um, a lot. Okay. How many of the people that actually came Not forward? Many. Okay. So that's one of the things we're fundamentally fucking up. We're we're looking at the bad guys giving them the name recognition, not looking at the, the heroic people that actually finally, because this shit has been going on. I mean, this used to be jokes in the 50s about casting couches and bosses shaking. And it, it's one of those, ha, 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 we've always done, rah, rah, rah. and then someone stands up and, and everyone meets you, that's wrong. It's, it's either always been wrong, mm -hmm. um, which it has, or it suddenly became wrong. It didn't suddenly become wrong. We suddenly had people that had gotten enough position of their own, enough power to feel safe to say, oh, fuck no, this stops here. So okay, so we need to celebrate that power. We need to, their name should be more important than the assholes that victimized them. We should be looking at them. That's, and, and this is part of it. People, that this is a, a use, that, that was their individual power. They used their power. They used it in a pro-social way. They proved that their power did not corrupt them. It made them better. They stood up for themselves in the process. They're standing up for other people yet to be victimized. And within that, we have, you know, again, bosses chasing secretaries around the desk. We've had a role model for that for, since there was television. But, and, and, and so you're asking about you know, what, what to do at the time. Where were your role models for someone saying, no, this bullshit stops here? And that, that's, we, we have to, until we start empowering good behavior and saying that power used for good is good mm -hmm. and get rid of that whole power is always bad, we don't have the role models, we don't have anyone to follow, we don't have anyone to stand up. Um, now we're getting there, and people have. So huge, good social change. But, but within that, and, and that's one of the things I still look at that clue, why do we know the names of the bad guys? Yeah, it's something that is brought up a lot um, in talking about like serial killers. Mm -hmm. right? uh, yeah. Spree killers. Spree killers mm -hmm. is big. They, it seems to be a viral thing, mm -hmm. right? When one happens, then somebody else follows it up because because the notoriety that we give them yeah. gives strength to the impulse to do it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's there's something there to me though that seems to connect to, to what you're doing mm -hmm. and to what I'm doing, which is how do we actually cultivate people who have power mm -hmm. to make a different choice? When someone, so many people are, are and, and we're, you know, you said in the last interview, we're making our children into veal by mm -hmm. not exposing them to difficulty, by not allowing yeah. them to play, by not, by not engaging with these things. We are, um, we're setting them up to be the person who freezes mm -hmm. when they see something that's outside of their expectation. When someone takes advantage of the scripts and takes advantage of the social, uh, 
functions. Like you've been told to be nice all your life when someone takes advantage of that. Yeah. Do you have the strength to, to do it? And how do we develop that strength? Well, it's hard because there's so much in society right now that is that appears, at least from my point of view, and we probably talked about this last time, to be trying to deny that. Um, one, one of those, take, taking a big, long circle around, um, uh, one of my friends, Steve Barnes, he's one of the, the best people for me to talk to about racial issues. Yeah. Straight up, we can, we can uh, no taboo subjects. But one thing is a privilege, and, and we have a bunch of people come from my background, white, redneck, there's no such thing, bullshit. Um, when I was a kid, all the TV heroes looked like I was gonna look like when I was grew up. Steve didn't have that. Um, so, but one of the things that's changed in the last 20 years now, there aren't any TV heroes that aren't alcoholic or on their third marriages, or we, we've had this, if you express your power, it's going to break you in some way. And we need to have role models that are healthy doing good things. We, we've changed that. So I didn't realize we're totally off the subject of going yeah, yeah, deep yeah, into society. But we, um, but we set up our role models as either bad guys, because they, they get a lot of material stuff, but a good guy that's not that way, well, there's something wrong with him. So you really don't want to go there. And what a fucking horrible message to send kids that, that only passive people are good, yeah. which is kind of like the opposite of good. That's just passive. If it's real, yeah. Yeah, if you're... It's, it's never morally superior to choose to be weak or to choose to fail. That's just failing. Yeah, you, you can't... I think power amplifies, right? Mm -hmm. It amplifies the good or the bad. And when you see someone who's in power, uh, the amplifying signal of what they're doing that's wrong makes it easier to see whatever mm -hmm. they do that's wrong. So it's easy to tear down people who are, are, uh, are more powerful. But what you can't see as easily, perhaps, is that it's also mm -hmm. amplifying whatever is good. And if you, can, if you can both make yourself a more virtuous person, right, and, well, I don't think you can be strong without, you can't be truly virtuous without being strong, but if you, no. can, be, if you can be good and you can be more oriented towards helping other people, more oriented towards, towards bringing good into the world, um, and you can take on wanting to become strong, that's huge. And just to kind of tie this back in, yeah. so we could go on on this. I, I, want to, I want to talk to them for a second too, because one of the things with strong, a lot of people get into the physical strong or the obviously measurable strengths. Mm -hmm. um, in, in this context, strength or power is your ability to affect the world. So compassion is power. Mm -hmm. Um, kindness is power. Communication, uh, coalition building, making friends are all forms of power. It's not just being able to lift cars and run and or you know influence people or force them to do which, what they don't want to do. Their whole but art is power. Well, look, the funny thing is that we seem to have forgotten mm -hmm. that in a time when it's probably less true than at any time in history that mm -hmm. that power is is strength. Yeah. Right. Like Absolutely. Left. And yet, we don't seem to realize that, that the point of physical practice is primarily actually to develop the strengths that we carry into all those other characteristics mm -hmm. in life. It's like, you can lift a lot of weight. That's relevant more for how it helps you set yourself up psychologically yeah. to deal with a difficult boss or... Yeah. To, it's to have the it's not the weight, it's that you show up. Difficulties in your marriage. Yeah. Like in mountaineering they say, well, it's not what the man does to the mountain, it's what the mountain does to the man. And this is of course true whether you're a man or a woman or... Or a mountain, or a dog. Or, yeah. <laughs> or a mountain. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's fundamentally what I think we're, we're aimed at cultivating. So the loop I was going to try to make back is we... You wanted to talk about this aspect of how our education system mm -hmm. is bass backwards. Um, Pretty much, yeah. And and I think that that's that's fundamental to this this broader sort of political mm -hmm. conversation we've been having. How there's an inherent system that human beings will sort of go into to make themselves the creatures who can orient towards chaos, mm -hmm. who can become strong, who can become virtuous, mm -hmm. and maybe we're actually. Um, we're, we're hijacking that system, we're, we're, we're breaking it down. So I wanted to, I know you had some stuff you really wanted to get in there, and I thought it was a good segue back. It's, yeah. Um, 
the meta on this is when you see something you know is wrong, mm -hmm. um, look at who benefits, right? Don't, don't look at who's damaged, look at who benefits. And one of the things we were talking about, we were talking specifically about martial arts and self-defense earlier, yeah. okay? Um, in martial arts and self-defense, specifically self-defense for me, you're teaching people to stand up for themselves. You're teaching people not to be reliant. Um, you're teaching people to think for themselves under pressure and do the same thing no matter what other people say are right and wrong. Not to be second-guessed. This whole list of things. Um, which to me are also fundamental to being a true human being. You're making your own decisions. You're standing up for your own beliefs. What you were talking about with virtuous. Yeah. To, to embrace the fact that humans are virtuous and powerful. Um, where is that support in our educational system at all? Yeah. And, and backing it up, yeah. you know, in, in traditional martial arts, where is that support at all? I can't teach you to stand up to a bad guy while demanding that you bow to me. <laughs> that, that doesn't function. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and, so, and, and so the breakdown that I look at is, because those are our two models. When we're teaching martial arts and self-defense, those are the two models that most of us know. Mm -hmm. We know how we were taught, oh, sensei, hi. And, you know, what we got in grade school, or high school, or college. Okay. So in that, how much of what we were taught in our traditional martial arts was what was originally taught to us by enemies? You remember foreign occupying army just taken over Okinawa, Japan. So we were being taught by enemies who had every reason to hate us through shitty translators teaching big groups for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that's become our model for traditional martial arts training. Um, if... There, there's nothing in there that's the way it should be to be effective. And I, I'm sorry for everyone out there, but um, if, if the U.S. had been conquered, if the U.S. had been conquered, yeah, yeah. and we'd been ordered by our enemies to teach catch wrestling, mm -hmm. we would have taught it just like karate, so that they absolutely cannot use it at all. Mm -hmm. it's the, the bones are there, the systems are actually very, very effective, but the teaching methodology is almost designed to make it not usable under pressure. Do you think that that's kind of solely part of this, this problem of like it was ta taught to us by people who, who really didn't like us through poor translation? I, I don't think it's just all. It's or also they, they were military people, so they, had the, they wanted the top down hierarchy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Japanese culture, as I understand it, is far more hierarchical, yeah. hierarchical than ours is. So, there, so there, there, there are other aspects to it. But again, if you want someone to stand up, you don't want them in a hierarchy. You don't want them thinking that they have loyalty to that. Yeah, and some of the problems in, mm -hmm. in well, it seems to me, and, and to correct mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong mm -hmm. here, but it seems to me that some of the problems that we see in, uh, mm -hmm. in the martial arts education system are also problems that we see that are endemic to the education system in a broader sense. Absolutely. And so I'm just curious to, to what degree you think that, that, you know, we can think of, you know, I, I think a key thing mm -hmm. for people to understand about education is the idea of people of the, the average person mm -hmm. going in to get a specific type of education is really new. Mm -hmm. And it was developed specifically to create people who would be effective factory workers. Mm -hmm. that's, yes. that's when we developed a school system, was to create future factory workers. When you are, when 95% of the, the population were mm -hmm. farmers, they learned the skills that they needed farming. From people doing it. They, exactly. they learned it from their parents, they right. learned it from the people in their communities. And, uh, and the people who needed an education, the, mm -hmm. the gentry, the aristocrats, they, they picked and cho chose working with individual teachers mm -hmm. uh, to you know, right. be a tutor or whatever. So our whole, our whole system, to some degree, is, um, has all these artifacts of having been designed as a, essentially an industrial process. And the, the end product that they, the why and what they, again, is docility and predictability. Yes. And those are two things you also want in any other victim you can name. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think about fitness, mm. the, the way fitness is today mm -hmm. as, you know, industrial reductionism applied mm -hmm. to the body. And I, I think when you look at, uh, like, a lot of traditional martial arts, it's the same thing. It's mm -hmm. like a factory model of, of how you produce a bunch of punchers. Yeah. But... But that's fundamentally not how people learn. So no. tell me a little bit. Your most recent book is uh, principles-based instruction. Principles-based instruction. So tell me a little bit about uh, what the, the core kind of message of the book is, because I think it's really aligned with what we're talking about. There's um, the basic core message. It, well, 
What am I doing different thing than other people? But it's, it breaks down. This is a hard thing to teach because it doesn't fit our regular models. It's an open system, not a closed system like we talked about earlier. Um, you don't know how much time you have. No engineer is ever going to be required to build a bridge until after they've gone all the way through school. Your student might be attacked tomorrow or never. You don't know. Mm -hmm. um, you don't know what problem they'll get. And it's just, just the whole list of this is complicated. And I'm breaking down. Um, I'm starting to believe, and I'm, I'm still on the fence with this, that the technique-based way that we teach and the reps and technique may be counterproductive. It may be worse than not training at all. Um, so working, it goes into the play-based model, how, how play-based and principles-based work, what they are, what they do. Uh, there's sections on troubleshooting students. I think the most interesting section for me is the one on taking whatever it is you're teaching anyway and then breaking it down to its actual self-defense core. And for most, you know, you have something that takes 20 years to get your, well, 20 years used to be eight years pretty consistently to get your black belt. Um, but there's probably about, for me, 40 hours of stuff that's really, really critical for defending yourself. Yeah. And once you break down that floor and you, you can then make that line, this, this 40 hours is important. This is the, where it's martial arts. And you can create a self-defense curriculum that's centered in your physicality, mm -hmm. um, but pretty complete. So there's, you know, that's a, the fascinating part of it for me is, is trying to walk through the process that I did to get to where I got, yeah. but from other people's point of view. So. Yeah, I've been through that. So yeah. One of my observations of, you know, when mm -hmm. I was teaching was that um, I came into parkour with, a, with having done martial arts since I was six years mm -hmm. old, and then I did gymnastics. I was not very talented gymnastics. I started that at 15. And so I came into parkour actually with the perception of myself as kind of a clumsy guy. And I thought, uh, I thought, I also thought of myself as very, very smart. So I figured that I would outsmart everything and just mm -hmm. use my smarts to make myself good. So I had a very analytical approach to parkour. And I actually think that got in my way of learning mm -hmm. to a very significant degree. But I found that I was able to instruct better than uh, some guys who seemed to take to the sport yeah. quite naturally. And so we had this observation that generally the best athletes didn't necessarily coach yep. as well because they didn't have a model for what they were doing. And they've known that forever. It's, it's one of those unconsciously competent people are shitty instructors because they don't know what they did. What was um, funny to me was that yeah. when I went from teaching urban parkour to teaching in the woods and teaching martial arts uh, or teaching rough housing, which is my, hmm. my little subworld of martial arts, yeah. um, I, had, I had to recognize that I that I, that I had learned those early enough and that, I was, that there was a lot of stuff that was obvious to me that didn't come mm -hmm. obviously to other people yeah. and how to extract the knowledge from the subcognitive mind. Um, but then there's this interesting thing, which is that you can create this abstract knowledge, but you don't actually want it to be, you don't want to download abstract no. knowledge into your, your student's head. You want no. them to be unconsciously competent in the end. And you want to, shorten that journey as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So you're talking about, um, about technique-based instruction. And mm -hmm. When I was teaching indoors parkour, I had a very technique-based instruction approach. And then as mm -hmm. I moved outdoors, what was interesting was that as people started moving in trees, they started figuring out all the cues and all the drills that I was going to give them before, mm -hmm. they, before I got to them. They'd have fixed the problem on their own. So I was like, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. I'm going to try to get them to fix the problem. I'm going to see if I can trick them into fixing the problem even more. So I've been studying that a lot. And uh, it, one of the ideas that I've come across recently that I thought was interesting that came up earlier, you were uh, working on drop steps uh, mm -hmm. with, uh, with me and, and uh, our friend Andrew. Mm -hmm. And we were watching him try to do a drop step punch. And, and I picked up something that I thought might be why it didn't look good. And you pick mm -hmm. up something different. Mm -hmm. and, and we brought that up and you were like, and both of these things probably won't help you. <laughs> yeah. They won't help you get better. Feeling whether it was more powerful in the bag will help you get better. Yeah. So within a, a motor learning theory, there's now this idea of uh, knowledge of results versus knowledge of, of process, mm -hmm. right? So, Knowledge of results is how hard to hit the bagger. Mm -hmm. uh, an example I like to give is um, 
you're shooting a basketball, right? Yeah. The resultant didn't go in. The process is 